It's great to have you here today. If you have a Bible, if you would turn to James chapter 4, we'll get to that by, by the time we get to the third point. And for those of you who are excited, like, yes, we're here for the Lord. And you think, oh, it's, it's so great. You're about to be really mad at me, most likely, when I tell you what this message is about. Before I tell you what it's about, let me just remind you part of what I do here. Uh, sometimes I teach a teaching on the weekends. Sometimes I preach a sermon. And sometimes... I deliver a message, okay? A teacher brings a teaching, a preacher brings a sermon, a messenger brings a message. And don't over-spiritualize the word messenger, but if you look in Revelation, what we would call the senior pastors of the local church were called angelos, sent ones, messengers. And it just means, think of it like this. There are times when God pretty clearly, kind of like on a post-it note says, press in, bam, here's what you're gonna deliver. And here's what you have to know. Sometimes, it's not necessarily what I would deliver if it were up to me, okay? So as I tell you what I'm about to tell you, the message I'm delivering, don't shoot the messenger, okay? Because some of y'all were like, yeah, first message of the year, this is gonna be great. I, I'm, new year, new me, this ain't that message, okay? Here's the title of the message. A test is coming. Huh. <laughs> Amazingly, none of y'all went, woo-woo! And some probably on the inside got a little bit angry and said, Preston, we've been in, in a testing season for at least the last two and a half years. And the last thing I wanted to kick off this new year is to come to a church where the pastor would stand on the stage and say, an even harder test is coming. I'm out of here, Preston. I don't want to go to church here. Okay, let's just talk about this for a second. So you'd rather go to a church that will lie to you? Remember, my job isn't to please you. My job is to please God. So we're going to do some work before we get to what, the, what I believe the actual test is going to be this year. Okay, but, but let me just say, because some of you might be thinking, oh, Preston's talking about the impending uh, financial crisis, the recession that economists and experts are saying is coming. That might be part of the test God uses, but I'm not looking at that as the test, as though we're all gonna take that as our primary test. Okay, and let me also remind you, if there's fear in your heart about a possible recession, every generation, study scripture, every generation experienced famine. Every single generation does. And I believe there's divine purpose in every earthly famine. Especially, there are two, I believe, special purposes in every famine on the earth. Here they are. In famine, God shows his faithfulness. And he also reveals the faithful ones. He shows himself faithful, and he also reveals the faithful ones. Okay, so let not your heart be troubled. It may not be easy, but don't get all riled up about it because it's when the food leaves the premises that the manna and meat fall from heaven. So don't freak out, okay? I'm not pointing at the recession as the test. We're all gonna take a, a variety of tests, okay? Three points in this message can answer three questions. Here's point number one, question number one. How do you see God's tests? When I said a test is coming, what was your initial emotion? In the last service, two people went, woo-hoo! 
and meant it. But probably 50 times that many people went, I'm sorry, you idiot. How do you see tests? In my opinion, there are two camps as it relates to the way we see God's tests. Here's the first camp. Those who see tests with excitement and faith. Scripture is filled with godly men and women who were tested by God and they were excited about it. How about Daniel chapter one? Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah are are chosen as a part of a group the king set aside and, and the king set out some parameters and rules for what they were to do and what they were to have. And Daniel, under conviction, says, no, 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 we can't be party to that. And watch the words Daniel uses in Daniel chapter 1, verse 12. He says, please test us. When was the last time you started off a new year and looked in God's direction and said, please test me, God? Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water. At the end of the 10 days, see how we look. In other words, test us at the end of the test. See how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. Test us. Then test us after you test us and make your evaluation based off the testing and the testing. How about Psalm 26, verse 2, King David? He says, put me on trial, Lord. Cross-examine me. Test my motives and my heart. This is a camp of people who get excited about the test. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, when confronted with the test of the fiery furnace, did what? They were excited, not about the flames, but about the test. We believe God can rescue us, but even if he doesn't, we're passing this test. Even if we go down in flames, we will pass this test. That was their heart. When I said a test is coming, did you get excited? When you get a revelation of how God responds to the tests we take, you get excited about what God requires. See, most of us, when we hear tests, we think sacrifice, we think cost. Yes, testing is expensive. But when you get a revelation of how God responds, you don't spend as much time counting what he requires. Here's the second camp of people, those who see tests with frustration and fear. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13 is a spectacular passage for any of us in that camp. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials, the really difficult tests you are going through, as if something strange were happening to you. Preston's sarcastic paraphrase. Preston, Jesus told you it was going to be difficult, trial and tribulation. So don't be surprised when you find yourself in the midst of the trials that you're in them. Jesus gave you a heads up and said, if you're going to follow me, you're going to find yourself in these situations. But very rarely do we, do we come to church at the beginning of the year and the pastor looks us in the eye and says, this year, we're going to endeavor to suffer well. Because testing involves suffering. It's hard. If you've ever taken a test God asks you to take, it's excruciating. Want to know why? It's designed to kill you. Jesus didn't say Pick up your Louis Vuitton carry bag and follow me. 
He said, pick up your cross. What's a cross? A device of torture. Preston, if you're going to follow me, it's not going to be easy. But I'm telling you in advance. I'm giving you a heads up because I love you. It's not going to be easy. So if you're in the camp that sees tests with frustration, Scripture says don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going to go through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad. For these trials make you partners with Christ. We love that part, but it's this next three words. We, we like to mumble in his suffering. Partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. You only see tests negatively when you misunderstand God's why behind testing you. So let's get to point number two, the second question. Why does God test you? There are lots of answers to this question, but I'm going to submit four to you. First, the first why behind God's tests for you. He wants to show you. Well, Preston, what does he want to show me? Your weakness. Now, if your first thought is that God is the kind of God who comes to you to show you your weakness, talking like this, you are so weak. Okay, that's not how he talks. That is how his enemy talks. But that's not how your heavenly father talks. If you're his child, he doesn't say, Preston, you are so weak. No, no, no. It's more like this. Preston, watch out. There's something you don't see here. Watch out. Okay, what is a weakness you can't see called? A blind spot. Want to know one of Satan's favorite things? A blind spot. Want to know why? Because it makes his job easier. So it is in his love and grace that God says, Preston, I'm going to test you so that you can not just be confronted with your weakness, but become more aware of your weakness. Okay? But here's the other side of that coin if you feel a little disappointed or depressed by this news that God's testing you to show your weakness. The other side of that coin, when God says, Preston, there's a weakness here. Every single time. And this, Paul got a revelation of this. We know this through his epistles that when you confront and are, are honest about your weaknesses, God will show more of his strength to you and lend it to you. Paul said, in my weakness, I celebrate my weakness. Why? Because when I'm weak, he's strong. Okay, the more aware I become of my weakness, the more in awe I am of God's strength. The more in awe I am of God's strength, the more consistently I rely on God's strength. And the more I rely on God's strength, the more I'll get to walk in God's power. This is what I want for us. Not just to be stronger, but to walk in more power. He wants to show us our weakness so we will rely on his strength. One of my favorite things about God is when he says, Preston, watch out. There's a weakness here. You have a weakness. The other side of that coin, once I embrace and rely on his strength, I embrace confronting my weakness and rely on his strength. Here's oftentimes the next word or words out of his mouth. Now watch me. He says, watch out. And your own strength, you're not going to be able to do this. But watch me. Watch what we do together. Watch what you can do in my strength. But Preston, you have to be honest that you have weaknesses before you can be entrusted with my power. 
First why, behind God's test. He wants to show you. Second why, he wants to grow you. James chapter 1, verses 2, 3, and 4. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, really, really hard tests, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to what? Grow. Watch the next four words of verse 4. So let it grow. While tests might expose my lack of growth, they are designed by God to create a new measure of strength. And we all want to grow stronger. All of us. In some measure, we want to grow stronger. And here's how I know. Four weeks ago at the gym, there were no lines for the machines. I could just hop from machine to machine to machine to machine. Unfortunately, I go to a gym that costs $10 a month to go to, and that means this time of year, it makes the lines really long for the machines. So now I go to the gym, and I've got to wait several people sometimes to get to the machine I want to use. Why? Because it's New Year. People come in and they go, you know what? I need to grow stronger. They come to lift weights in order to grow stronger. Holly asked me, she's like, hey, babe, how long do you think this will last? I said, Valentine's Day. <laughs> it, always, it always happens until Valentine's Day. And then after they get through Valentine's Day, we won't see them until January the 1st, okay? <laughs> not to be the negative, but you know how it goes. It's just how it goes, especially at a $10 a month gym where people are like, ah, just keep it on my, keep it on my, my tab. It's okay. It makes me feel better. Um, why do they go? They lift to grow. Okay, here's the awesome thing, though, comparing earthly weights to heavenly tests. You lift earth's weights to grow stronger, but you take heaven's test to grow more powerful. God tests us to see if we can be entrusted with the power of his spirit. Here's the third why behind God's test, to reward you. There is good intent behind him testing you. He tests you because he wants to reward you. James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Interestingly enough, it doesn't say who aces the test. It just says, remains faithful to the point of completion of the test. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, when she has stood the test, she will receive, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Okay, Preston, that sounds like an eternal reward. So are you saying that all tests from God just have eternal rewards. Well, they do, but that's not the only kind of reward. There are also present rewards. Jeremiah 17, verse 10. God says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, to reward, to respond, according to the fruit of his deeds. Well, here's the difficult part of, of the reward. When God places a test before you, which you can see, he places a reward beside it, which oftentimes you cannot see. And this can be frustrating because we weren't raised like this, right? I mean, we, we have a four-year-old in our house again, and, and it's reminding me about parenting. You know, the last time I did this, I was in my mid-20s. Now I'm in my mid-40s. And some things have changed about me. When I was raising our kids, uh, 
you know, I, we, we didn't really do the whole reward thing a ton. It wasn't like if, if you go potty on the potty, here's a wall of trinkets you get to pick from, okay? We just tried to teach it and encourage it and celebrate it, you know? Way to go, you went potty on the potty, you know? Now, clearly over the last 20 years, I have changed because I find myself saying to this four-year-old little boy, if you will just make a good choice today at school, I will buy you a car. (laughs) If you will just not push anybody at school today, I will make the down payment on your first home. (laughs) Why? Because as humans, there's just something in us, the greater the reward, the more motivated we are to take and pass the test. So why, Preston, does God not reveal the reward at the same time he reveals the test? I will tell you why. Because your motive matters to your maker. Your motive matters. Think about it. If at at 23, the Lord would have said, Preston, in middle age, your mid-40s, I'm going to put a baby on your doorstep. And I want you to help raise this child as long as I ask you to. Shooting straight, just being transparent. Here's what I would have said at 23. Well, Lord, I'm the one who at 15 asked for a girl and two boys in that order. And then a couple years later, I would have said to the Lord, and it appears you gave me a girl and two boys in that order. It appears to me as though we are finished. And I would try to move on from the conversation. But what if the Lord would have said, Preston, uh, in middle age, in your mid-40s, two years away from feeling like you're going to be an empty nester. Ta-da! And the reward will be $1 billion. Here's what I would have said. Well, let's just bring in lots of babies into the house. (laughs) let's have 10. Why? Because if he puts a reward like that, if he tells you how extravagant the reward is for taking and passing the test, oftentimes we'll be more inclined. Even if we hate the test, we will force ourselves to take the test. But I believe with God, the motive Your motive behind taking the test is just as important to him as your passing the test. So, he oftentimes doesn't reveal the reward when he reveals the test. But make no mistake, one of God's whys behind testing you is to reward you. Here's the fourth thing. The fourth why behind God's testing you. To promote you. God tests us to prepare us for promotion and to make sure we can be trusted with promotion. In the kingdom, the purpose of testing is promotion, not punishment. Like if you ask my children right now, hey, how many of you like taking tests at school? You will not get any positive feedback. We do not like tests, Daddy. Yeah, they, they have a negative view of tests. 
But testing is a part of growing. Testing is a part of being prepared. I can't be promoted until I'm first prepared. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 4. But just as we have been approved by God, how can one be approved? You'll see in a second. We've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. That's a major responsibility. So we speak not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. How were we approved by God? He tested us. And we passed the test. Because we passed the test, we are entrusted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, let me help, help you make sure you really understand this because some of us, when we hear the word promotion, might be thinking about, oh, I'm about to get that promotion at work that I've been dreaming about for three years. I'm not talking about that kind of promotion. Man equates promotion with greater benefits and more status. God equates promotion with greater responsibility and more of his spirit. How many of us, by the end of 2023, would like to be entrusted by God with a greater kingdom responsibility? How many of us, by the end of 2023, would like to have more access to the power of God's spirit? Okay, but then we better get to testing. He doesn't hand that out free. It's not, a, it's, it's not a gift he gives out as a door prize. These are prizes he gives with dying. I was talking with, with the pastor before uh, the service uh, from Kenya, and we were talking about scripture, and he was saying, you know, there, there's this movement in denominations to, to begin altering scripture based on what they want scripture to say, and scripture is very clear. You're not to add or take anything away from, from scripture. And, and it was a wonderful conversation. And, and I said to him, and it kind of took him by surprise, but then once I explained it, he, he got it. I said, this book is designed to kill us. It is. We're designed by God not to walk in fleshly strength, but to be dead men and women walking by the power of the Spirit. How did Lazarus come back from the dead? We're just Lazarus. Here's the deal. This is why many of us hate testing. Because tests bring pain. They just do. They're hard. The harder the test, the greater the pain we feel. Right? Here's the problem with that. Dead people don't feel pain. You only feel pain in a part of your life where your flesh is alive. I can prove it to you. The next time you go to a funeral or a memorial service or an open casket service, just walk up and just go to the body. Okay, I'm just playing. Please don't do this and blame me. But you get what I'm saying. Will there be any response that you see in that dead body, in that casket when you hit it? No. But if I went up to you in the lobby and went, you'd do it back, number one. But you would feel it, wouldn't you? Right. Pain points are always in our most fleshly points. Following Jesus is about eternal life. There's no doubt. It is about the abundant life but it is also about daily death. And some of y'all hate me when I talk like this, but don't shoot the messenger. 
promotion is a part of his why behind the test. But it's not as pretty as we think it will be. In the moments in my life where I have died the ugliest, bloody, fleshly death, those have been some of the greatest moments of kingdom promotion I've experienced. But man, those deaths were nasty. And I squirmed and kicked, and it was tough. But I would just tell you, if you're stepping into a test like that, be of good courage and cheer. He's not punishing you. He's preparing you for a greater kingdom responsibility. Listen, let's just take me so that you understand this. Because sometimes people look at the person in my shoes, senior pastor, and go, oh, a greater responsibility would be a bigger church. I want you to know something about me in this church. My desire is not that we would climb the list of mega churches. And it's not that growing is not bad. Healthy things grow. My desire is that our church would climb the mountain of the Lord. Not some list. Okay? So just make sure when you hear the word promotion, you don't start counting things. Because I believe in God's economy, promotion is really about greater kingdom responsibility and more of the power of the Spirit because that's the only way we can pull it off. That leads us to question number three. What does this test cover? James chapter four, if you're there, verses seven through 10, I feel like are one of the passages the Lord gave me for this year for our church, but I wanna draw your attention, especially to verse eight, because I think this kind of helps us see a major part of the test we're gonna take as a church this year. James four, verse eight, come close to God. Your translation might say, draw near to God. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Okay, three things we see in this passage, starting with pursuit. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. I believe this year we're going to be tested in the area of pursuing God. What was the commandment when Jesus was asked, Teacher, what's the greatest commandment in all the law? What was Jesus' response? The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Preston, this is at the top of the list. David said it to Solomon. It's all throughout Scripture. Get to know God intimately. We're going to be tested on how we pursue the Lord. And I felt like the Lord kind of gave me a little bit of a picture for you. You were sitting really sweetly, kind of kindergarten style, under the shade of a tree, and it appeared as though you were very spiritually and very maturely waiting on God. And you've been waiting in this posture for a particular field that you feel God has been speaking to you for many years about. And so here you are under the shade of this safe tree, waiting for God to bring you that field. Here's what I feel like the Lord said about this very picture for you and for me. I'll personalize it for me because I want you to personalize it for you as well. Preston, they're waiting. You're waiting to receive this field. But this next field will not be received by waiting on me. This next field will be received by chasing me. 
Preston, I've set it up to where the only way you're going to go into this next field is you chase me into it. You've waited for a while. You want to go into this next field? You must chase me like never before. The best way to enter a new field in life is to have first embraced a new place with God. And here's the promise I feel like he has made us this year. I'll personalize it again because I think it's important that we do that and I want you to personalize it too. Preston, if you pursue me in a way you never have, you will see me respond in a way I never have. Before you go too far down that road, what that can mean, I'll submit to you what I think it means. It's not more resource, so to speak. It's a new measure of relational intimacy. Preston, if you will chase me like you never have before, you will see me respond relationally, intimately in a way I never have before. See, one of my favorite things about God is, is when he says, there's something new I want for you to do. I believe he also says, and in doing so, there's a new side of me I want to show you. So don't be overwhelmed by the new thing. Be excited about the new side of God. You're going to get to see this year as you step into this new measure of testing. First part of the test, pursuit. Will we pursue him? Second, priority. If you prize God above all else, you will pursue God more than anything else. So pursuit and priority go hand in hand. Okay, so the the greatest commandment, Jesus says, is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. But what is the first of the Ten Commandments? You shall have no other gods before me, God says, right? Preston, I am the sovereign God. There is none above me. There is none beside me. Make sure, son, you don't try and put anything ahead of me because nothing belongs in that place. Well, Preston, I mean, thou shalt no other little g gods. I mean, that, that, that's speaking more of Old Testament times, Asherah poles and things like that. No, no, no. Let me tell you what a, lo- a lowercase g god is. Anything you worship in place of God. It can be money. It can be stuff. It can be a relationship. It can be a job. It can be a calling. It, it can be any number of things. A lowercase g god is anything we try and put ahead of God. And this year, I think we're going to be tested. Some of us, if, if we are in, stepping into, or about to go into a recession this year, that might be part of what God uses to test us because we might have made our money more of our God than God. What did Jesus say? You can't serve both God and mammon. Choose you the state. Preston, this is the test. Uh, Okay. All right. Preston, am I your number one priority? Now, I'm going to submit something to you that was a little bit strong this week. Remember, Jesus went on record and he said, I say what the Father told me to say and how he told me to say it. Jesus didn't just say, I say what the Father told me to say. He also said, and I say it the way he told me to say it. In other words, tone matters to God. This week, as I was praying and preparing for this part of the message, priority, I felt the Lord kind of get pretty, pretty strong, okay? 
I'm just going to tell you how I felt like it went down. And this is what I felt like the Lord said. And some of you are going to laugh and some of you will be shocked. Okay? But I just felt the Lord go, I am not a side piece. I was like, what? Are you like going slang on me? I think I know what a side piece is, but I had to Google it. A side piece is a mistress. A woman with whom a man carries on a physical affair without having the intention of forming a serious relationship. God says, Preston, I am not a mistress. I'm not a plan B. I am plan A. I will not be your side piece, Preston. You're going to love me this year with all of your heart, soul, and mind more than you ever have before. We're going to be tested in the area of priority. The Christian life is extremely hard. The Christian life is borderline impossible when Christ isn't the number one priority in your life. Here's the third part of the test. This is my favorite part. Purity. I don't just mean outward purity. I mean inner purity. The purity of the soul. Purity of heart. Well, what is purity of heart? If you've been at our church for any amount of time, you know one of our values is innocence. It's purity of heart. Well, what is it, Preston? Well, this is kind of the most simple way I'm trying to describe purity of heart. It's an overwhelming desire to please God in all things at all times. It's a heart without malice or manipulation. Think about all the promises in Scripture that God makes to the pure in heart. Again, this is one of the reasons why I tell you, don't, don't be, as a child of God, worried about a famine. Go read Psalm 37. God talks about the innocent. He says, I will cause your innocence to radiate like the noonday sun. Then he goes further down the road and he says, and the innocent will have more than they need in famine. Doesn't say they'll have everything. Essentially, he's saying, press them for the pure of heart. Hey, don't worry. There's provision for the pure. How about the Beatitudes? My favorite of the Beatitudes. Most famous sermon in human history. What does Jesus say? Blessed are the pure in heart for what? They shall see God. Here's what I think that means. Preston, I allow the pure in heart to see me in a way I don't allow everybody else to see me. They can't handle it. It's not that I don't love them. It's, it's that to see who I am in perfect purity, Preston, you've got to mine and protect a pure heart. This is why David cried out and said, create in me a clean heart, O God. Why did he say it? Because he knew there was going to be a cap, a limitation on how God would reveal himself to David if he cultivated an impure heart. And let me show you the promise I felt like the Lord gave us as it relates to Endeavoring to cultivate and protect pure hearts before the Lord. 
Let me read it to you. Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4. Who may climb the mountain of the Lord? You heard me use that phrase. Who may climb the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Only those whose hands and hearts are pure, who do not worship idols and never tell lies. Here's what I felt like the Lord said. For me, for us as a church, Preston, the purer your hearts are, the more holy the moments will be. That's exciting, but that's expensive. It's going to be excruciating at times. This is why we come together in community and in family in the house of God. So that on the days where the test seems so hard that we want to stop taking it, one of our brothers or sisters comes alongside that we are doing life with, that we are training with, that we are growing with, and says, don't be weary in doing good. God is with you. He's helping you take this test. Suffer well. But Preston, I don't want to suffer. The flesh never does. The flesh always gets in the way of the spirit. I want to see an unbridled move of God. My flesh has got to die more than it ever has. And so, and this is how God rolls. Before I come to service last night to deliver this message, a test hit me right between the eyes. I mean a doozy in my own house under my own roof. And I got in my truck to come and deliver this message and I was kind of griping to the Lord, are you serious? On the first weekend of Pillar, you lobbed this grenade? And you know when you talk like that to the Lord, he just chuckles. <laughs> Preston, clearly you've already forgot what I told you. The test isn't just coming. It's right here on your doorstep. And then you have that moment where it's like he looks you in the eyes and says, will you take this test? That's my question for you. We answered three questions, but there's one question I can't answer for you. Will you take this test?